so how's your puzzle going? Not good. I mean, it's going, I mean, <clears throat> I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time on it, to be honest, because there's no like motivation. <laughs> I'm not making a nice picture. It just is purely like arbitrary. I'll see if this random piece fits here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got you an all white puzzle. Right. For Christmas. And I was inspired by the Mark Wahlberg film, Mile 22, Mm -hmm. where to show the brilliance of the CIA operative, they show him putting together the world's hardest puzzle. Right. And I didn't see the movie. I just saw like a screen grab of this. But I want to say just by the still image, he did not seem to be struggling as much as you are. Well, I'll say this. It's not the same puzzle because no, it's not. his is all white, but there is only, it's, it's a regular, the pieces are regular pieces, mm-hmm. regular puzzle shapes. Mm. And I'm not sure if that makes it better or worse because the one you got me is all white, but the pieces are weirdly shaped. And there's like a spiral. And there's a spiral in the middle. So there's an element of that that like makes it a little bit easier because there's like weird, like there's only certain parts of it are weirdly shaped, right? Mm-hmm. So that means like my initial thought was, okay, well, I'll, the, I'll, the, I'll take the pieces that have obviously have like a bend to them and I'll just separate those. And then first I'll focus on more or less the regular pieces and work my way up to the, the spiral, Mm -hmm. right? But even those regular pieces are weirdly shaped, but at the same time, I feel like Mark Wahlberg's puzzle, even though you would be able to separate, like, let's say they've got like just the five traditional puzzle shapes and you would be able to, to, to separate them into those five different categories, I feel like that would make it even more monotonous than it already is, mm. which is the monotony is what is <laughs> yeah. the most unappealing aspect of it. <laughs> oh. And I'll also say that I, um, I did, I have stopped using the box ah. because I realized after putting the frame together, as soon as I sat down, I just felt like dirty reaching for the box. Mm. And like, as I reached for, I realized like I was so overzealous about like proving you wrong or something Mm -hmm. that I let that cloud Mm -hmm. over the fact that using the box is obviously cheating. Mm -hmm. It's just like, like you might as well just like be following instructions or whatever, which is the complete opposite of the point. Right. So I haven't been using the box either. Yeah. It's a bizarre addition on the back of the box. They include a detailed yeah. depiction of the puzzle, including clearly all the different pieces and where they belong. Right. And to me, it's either there to be like the solution to the crossword that's written upside down on the next page. You just right. go over. But then the, my other idea is once somebody puts that together, they're not then going to go back and check their work. Like, right. can you imagine the psychopath who would do yeah. that, spend all yeah. the time not using the box and then being like, ooh, all right, time to check my work, you know? Um, 
or it's there to just kind of be like, listen, we made a hard puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. You know, and it's on the outside of the box. Like, you right. know what I mean? You could just put it as an insert or put yeah. it on the inside of the box where it's maybe less tempting to just look at, you know? Um, but I'm glad that you came around to that. Uh, I was giving you a hard time uh, about using it. But at the same time, there, there's always a piece in me, which is why this is part of our secret Santa. I didn't make this the only gift right. that, that I gave you. I, I feel like that would have been just like too big of a screw you mm-hmm. on this Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, here's an all white puzzle. <laughs> I know you'll hate it. And that's all you're getting. Uh-huh. So I tried to give you something else to like make it better. But I mean, part of me is like, I'm both pleased that it's going this <laughs> <Right>. poorly. <laughs> and I also am feeling a little bad. But, yeah. uh, well, I'm more. I'm mainly pleased. I'll get it done eventually. It's just been, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, I kind of joked, but it, it will be interesting if, like, in six months, I'm like, "Oh, how's the puzzle?" And you're like, "Oh, I did it, and now I'm not doing puzzles anymore." And right. I really did just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, ruin puzzles for you. Yeah. So. Um. I also, before we get started, I wanted to address something. Um. You know, I I feel like. With this podcast, it's uh, I've been sick, uh, not just with the holidays, but I've been like really bad for the over a week. Mm. And uh, again, I I would have loved to record earlier, but I feel like with this podcast, it's always kind of touch and go. You, know, mm. you, you just never know. Uh, but uh, I couldn't let us end on that last episode. I'm. I'm not sure what feedback you've gotten. Uh, I don't even remember what the last episode was. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, ostensibly, it's about Buster Scruggs. Okay. But it includes a very long opening where I'm complaining about a, uh, a woman walking into a bagel dashery and <laughs> buying right. only a coffee. Okay. And that infuriated <laughs> So many people. We yeah. we do not have a huge listener base, but I feel like I, they all came out, and I heard from everybody. You heard about it? Oh, hated it. Wow, unlistenable. Uh, just got trashed. Yeah, and part of me was confused because uh, I looked at just like you know. On iTunes, like, does, did anybody listen to that episode? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can kind of see that general gauge of the whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that that thing is like, who knows what's right. what's following? It's a mystery. But it did have like, you know, people. So I was like, oh man, like people were did listen, pissed. But it also has like popular episodes down at the bottom, and one of them was the for the witch. And oh, I was like, yeah. oh, the witch. I I have I don't listen to our own podcast. Like I'll I'll th- just want to hear mm-hmm. what, why would the witch be popular, and it includes about a twenty minute opening <laughs> of us going back and forth about a a bathroom stall that has both <laughs> a toilet and a urinal in it, uh-huh. and trying to figure out why and talking about spaces between urinals and stuff right. like that. I so I mean again, part of me was like I I know that the that the people going to get coffee at a place that does more than coffee or 
that specialized in things other than coffee. I know that was so out of bounds, but it was. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here to say, you know what? Get coffee where you want. Right. Bagel dasheries, you know, gutters, <laughs> Starbucks or local places. Right. What do I care? Uh, so I just want to officially put that to bed. Good. Um, I've been back to that place and I kept my eyes on the ground. I didn't look around. <laughs> I mumbled my order. I let everyone else order whatever they wanted. I had no idea what the person behind me ordered. Yeah. And I got out of there. So well, I've, I've learned my you, lesson. I'm, gra- I'm glad you learned. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we can't. I just couldn't let that be the final word. So okay. hopefully this time I won't step in it uh, as much as I did with uh-huh. that one. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to relitigate it. I've already apologized. I've moved on with my life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just to relitigate for one more second. Is was it that out of bounds? Was that you have been here for every episode we've done? Was I mean, that was that particularly just like it just doesn't make offensive. sense to me? It's not that I find it. I don't care either way. I just don't understand the. I don't understand the discrimination. Yeah. Again, I, I feel like that's again standard for us. I was sure. listening back. You didn't understand the combo. You didn't accept my explanation for why I believe the combo was in there. That still seems standard. You, you not get, you not understanding what the, what the point was. It was just truly, I mean, we, it was, it was just apparently a a perfect storm of uh, annoying traits (laughs) (laughs) in me mainly. It was my thing. So anyway, I promise to do better. Uh, yeah. Ever since I've been sick, every time I blow my nose, there's a little bit of blood in it. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's I think one of that's those... good. I think that's a good thing. Is it? <laughs> no. Well, I don't think a little bit of blood in anything is ever good. That's what I'm saying. I I always look at it and it's like the problem is it's so little. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally on this one, it's just two little drops. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, my nose is raw. You're probably just, yeah, you're probably just blowing your nose too much. Right. Yeah. And so I just See, that, to that. That's something we can talk about, right? Because you believe in yeah, blowing your nose. Yeah, you're one of those. No, no. I don't believe yeah, in blowing my yeah, nose. Yeah. Listen, you can't create two sides to this thing. It's not like, oh, you're one of those nut job nose blowers. And uh, I am the one. Who, you do not believe in blowing your nose. Full st- Oh, look at that. Wheeze. It's not good for you. Uh, yeah, you have that wheeze because you won't blow your nose. <clears throat> that's not true. I mean, I will never have to worry about blowing my nose so much that it bleeds every time I blow my nose. And there's also the thing about like, I I read something about blowing your nose can actually stir stuff up and make you even more sick. Yeah, I also read somewhere that vaccines cause autism. So are we just talking about um, True Detective? You know, I, I felt like, again, with 2019, it's a good time to turn over a new leaf and maybe to go back to some old things that that worked. And, okay. uh, you know, we used to do... So I, I was trying to remember, we did season one of True Detective. Yeah. We did not do season two. No. 
We did season one of Leftovers. Yep. And season two. Maybe. But we did not do season three. <laughs> no, because I didn't even watch season three. Yeah, I know. We did 11, 22, 63. But I don't yep. even know if we made it through the whole thing. Yeah, I think we did. Uh, and we did... Do we do one other, other TV show? Uh, I think that was it. Oh, we did a preacher. I think that's the one that we didn't make all the way through. No, we finished no, we preacher. Did. We did season one of preacher because we did that with Rob. Yeah, and then I I watched a little bit of season two and it was terrible. Preacher eleven twenty two sixty three, the leftover season two made it all the way through. True Detective season two, we made it all the way through. We did. We did season two. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I, okay. Then, I mean, I feel like we need to get back to our roots of True Detective, and we need to do season three. Okay, but I'm not creating as I'm not. We'll just do it here. I'm not creating another podcast for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's right. Um. But uh, I think the. Um, but we did like the jinx like that. I think. Oh yeah. Where we, we talked about the jinx every week mm-hmm. while it was out. So I think that's what we should do. On this podcast. Yeah. Okay. So True Detective Season 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to talk about some background. Okay. Um, I grabbed a, a cord to charge my phone with, and mm. the cord doesn't work. Mm. So I came here with like 1%. So I actually don't have my phone front. Okay. But I did throw some notes down in, the, uh, in a Google Doc. Um, I'm going to try to remember them. So, you know, one consistent through line through the true detectives. Uh, oh, I, I rewatched season one recently and it holds up. Um, I, I will still go to bat for that ending, which I know we, we disagree. Yeah, about. I didn't care for it. Yeah. Um, but season one holds holds up. Uh, season two, I'm not going to bother to rewatch. Season two is terrible. Really bad. And. Than season three. So you have what I find are some interesting through lines between the, the seasons, right? Number one, Nick Pizzolatto, writer mm-hmm. for every episode. Um, but in season one, you have a contentious relationship with the director. Right. So famously, Kerry Fukunaga and him did not get along. And Kerry Fukunaga was like, after he was done, he was like, I am done. I'm out of here. Right. And, uh, but you you have out of that, I think, a really strong show. Yeah. Season two, you kind of have, number one, a rush job where HBO is, like, wanting him to, to get working They're on trying it. trying to cash in. And you, and you don't have another creative uh, attached to kind of do all the episodes in a directorial style. Mm-hmm. And I think season two shows the dangers of a writer like Nick Pizzolatto, who I think that he has talent as a writer, uh, but I think that he can be prone to, uh, to parody like yes. a self parody. Yes. Yeah. And it's and a, a lack it's, of self-awareness. Exactly. It's a, it's a lack of self-awareness and then like a hyper self image awareness yeah i was gonna uh, the the the, the, it's it's strange it's like a lack of self-awareness that is like somehow disguised in like hyper self-awareness you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but it's like you realize oh this guy 
just kind of like, you know who he honestly reminds me of is Joe Rogan. It's like, <laughs> this is like a guy who like knows enough to kind of like skate by in the periphery. Mm-hmm. But then if you examine it a, even a little bit, you're like, oh, this guy is like kind of dumb. Way out of his depth. Yeah. Just, yeah. He knows some like surface level, like maybe a little bit deeper than surface level stuff. But he just is like, he doesn't actually like get it. Yeah, there's a <clears throat> like there's a certain writing style like this, like this kind of southern gothic, mm-hmm. specifically with like focused on crime that is such a tight rope to walk and especially when you try to make your stories in that vein be more mm-hmm. than just you know tawdry uh and and kind of like uh um what's the word I'm looking for? What's the what's the word for like uh grindhouse? Pulpy? Like, pulpy. Thank you. Um and you you either have to be like Cormac McCarthy where I'm reading Blood Meridian and I'm like, this guy's too smart. Like, how mm. do you get this smart? Mm. You know, I can't access this but his writing can be like oh wow am i reading like philosophy or am i just reading like a western story mm-hmm. you know and he can kind of navigate that realm really really well or you have like i think nick pizzolato would say like a pretender whereas like i got enough yeah. i'm a joe rogan i i gotta do a little like song and dance over here yeah and that really came out in that profile that came out uh about him after season right. one where he looks like he he legitimately looked like somebody um he he looked like somebody who didn't realize that Christian Bale was already cast as Batman sent in like some head. he thought he thought he had a shot and he's like hey Christopher I I got some stuff together this is what I could give you you know yeah. what I mean uh, dark brooding and ridiculous uh and so anyway um then you have season 3 where it's announced that Jeremy Solonier, who directed uh, Blue Ruin, mm. Green Room, uh, and Hold the Dark, that he's going to do season three as, as the director. Mm-hmm. Um, you have seen Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. You've not seen any of his other movies, Green no. Room or... Did you have any feelings about Jeremy Saulnier being attached to season three? I mean, yeah, I like it in the sense that that I like the idea. I know we talked about this with the first season when we did the first season. I like the idea of having one writer and one director for an entire season. Mm-hmm. I just like that as an idea, yeah, because it it seems more intentional than just grabbing whatever tv director is available you know what i mean right and And then then you always wonder like like, having whoever do the pilot and then being like okay uh you you come on in and do episode six and this is sort of like your style guide you know what i mean right or or and it also makes me wonder when you're piecing all together especially like with these three timelines it can't all be delineated by episodes that clearly, right? Yeah. I mean, like if you filmed this interview scene with Mahershala Ali, 
like one director film that whole interview yeah or at least maybe a lot of it and then constructing it you you put together but there has to be bleed over episode to episode you know which also makes me wonder like normally that's why like it it works with game of thrones because i feel like by someone directing it they're usually directing that one big set piece of that episode and then everything else is you know probably cobbled together from you know different directors Mm -hmm. you know but yeah, you don't have enough of a of t- of a time to put a stamp on one episode if you're a director. It yeah. seems like to me. Yeah, I could I could be wrong. It could be very delineated that way. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's an issue with it when you're talking about like episodic or like serialized maybe television, where you're talking about like even like a TV drama that's meant to be on for like ten years. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But if you're if you've got a contained story that has a beginning and end and you have a very purposeful sort of vision for it over the course of those 10 episodes, I think it's a lot more beneficial to have the same guy directing all 10 of those episodes. Yeah. I want (laughs) to, I'm playing out my mind. Like I would love for it to be like the interview scene, right? Mahershali is being interviewed by two detectives and they have the script so broken out that in the middle of a sentence, then it's interrupted. And they're like, okay, now this is going to get into season three. So uh, let's get Bob in here. Bob, right. you're going to direct this. And like Bob gets to walk around the room and be like, yeah, everything. Okay, let's keep it this way. Yeah. And then they just like go with Bob. And right. then, okay, cut. And then one guy's like, you know what? Can we, uh, I, I want this light off for this, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, with that being said, though, I didn't or I don't remember anything particular about the first two episodes that stood out to me directorially Hmm. not like i did with the first season at least well yeah so well what then happened was jeremy saulnier left oh okay. Uh, again you know nick pizzolato well, that does not bode well for nick pizzolato i can't imagine many people wanting to work with him yeah well so did you See who helped him write the scripts for season three? No. Because so far he's written every episode of both seasons. Yeah. Again, so there's the plagiarism charges well, of yeah. season one. Right. Where you're like, okay, he, he may have had some help, even though the person helping him may not have known. Um, <laughs> season two, he seemed to be pretty much on his own. And, yeah. that's, and that's what we're going to get. Also pretty obvious. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, so for me, I was super excited for, for Jeremy Saulnier to be on there. He also kind of seems to run in the same direction as, uh, Nick Pizzolatto. Right. Dark and, and brooding. Dark and brooding and might even be subject to the same pitfalls. Yeah. Right. So I was interested to see how they would get along. He leaves, which again, yeah, makes you think like Nick Pizzolatto, uh, it seems to still be the guy from that, right. that profile, you know? Um, and so I was like, oh crap, this is, this is not looking good, but David Milch helped write his scripts for season three. Mm -hmm. Uh, and apparently he then helped David Milch with the Deadwood movie that's filming, which I was like, did David Milch see the Magnificent Seven 
film that Nick Pizzolatto wrote because. <laughs> oh, did he write that? Yeah. The rebooted Meg- with Magnus Denzel Washington, Seven? Ethan Hawke, and oh, everybody. Wow, I didn't know. I didn't realize. Oh that. yeah, man, it is not good. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I felt like with David Milch on there, I felt like that kind of balanced everything out. And you know, you you talked about maybe not having a strong directorial stamp. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the one thing that that really worked for me in the first two episodes was the writing. Mm, yeah. And and I think it also goes to the casting where in season two, we had Vince Vaughn, who was. Right. Just, yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. something. Yeah. Um, that was a big mistake. Yeah. You had Vince Vaughn. Rachel McAdams, who I think is great, but you know she was not written a lot right. to to work with there. Uh, and now you have Stephen Dorff and Scoot McNary, um, and I think all the actors understand how to navigate the this writing. Sure. And also, I just found the writing to be really sure. like the fact that it doesn't really stand out, or that right. what stands out are the lines that are really good. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I think the writing to me doesn't stand out in any way at all, really. It's, which but, is but fine. With this, with, with this material, that's, that's good. Sure, yeah. But, again, going back to season one, and I know I said this when we talked about season one, is it's the dialogue at least and the character of Russ Cole is so unique that you could tell at least for me that like this was something that one guy has been working on for decades probably and he's honed it and he's like pulled all of these influences from all these different places which is where the plagiarism stuff comes in to play and it felt so unique and then you get, okay, now write another season in six months. And you get what season two was, yeah. which was just the worst version of what season one was without any of the uniqueness that a character like Rust Cole brings. And I feel like now what you're getting is like the best sort of copy of season one. But again, you still don't have sort of the. Rust Cole. Right. You don't have that. And I, I don't want that character, mm-hmm. but you don't have the sort of like, you know, different perspective that that character brings. It's, it's well written in that it's not making me cringe like season two was. Yeah. Um, and I think also says something about the, about the actors who are pulling it off. Well, that's another thing, too. I don't. I think all of the acting is amazing it's great Mm -hmm. super good but i wish there was a little bit more of a distinction between the three versions of Hayes. i feel like Mm. he acts and talks Mm. and sounds exactly the same at all three different ages like like his voice literally just sounds the same to me yeah he's got the exact same vocal like it's not even mixed up a tiny bit i felt like yeah i feel like the variations on the character are kind of 
one of the things we're going to be exploring in this season. I feel like he's presenting a version of himself that might not be well accurate. It's interesting you bring that up because I thought the same thing as soon as, I mean, it was, you know, 30 seconds or however long it took into the episode where it's like, they say my memory's bad. Right. And so your first thought is, Oh, he's an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what I was thinking the entire time during the first two episodes. But someone posted on the subreddit that uh, in an inter- someone asked him that, like Entertainment Weekly or some magazine or something, and he, he was like, no, we're not doing an unreliable narrator thing. Every single thing you saw on the screen happened the way it happened on the screen. There is no unreliable narrator. So <laughs> I think that's false. Well, I mean, that's what he's saying. That's what Pizzolatto is saying. I mean, it, it ends with him waking the second episode ends with him waking up in the middle of the street, not knowing where he is. Yeah. I mean, he is as unreliable to himself. Sure. As you can be, you know, sure. The the scene before that he's sitting at dinner. He doesn't even remember why his daughter isn't there. Right. Or that he just mentioned her. I mean, whether, whether he falls into the strict definition of unreliable narrator or, Man dealing with dementia, so his memories are unreliable. Mm-hmm. Seems to me like that's kind of what we're what we're dealing with. I also want to address. It goes into a to a. I don't know. I feel like with shows, showrunners and writers are the people to pay attention to the least. Right. Whether it's from Lost, where you, where you had like a complete and utter removal of the barrier between writer and audience. Yeah. Where Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cruz are literally doing like one of the first podcasts saying like, hey, here's some fan theories. This is what it is. This is what it isn't. Mm. And then they're saying like, it's not purgatory. We're not that dumb. And sure enough, it's purgatory. Mm-hmm. And that also falls into line on a rich history of artists, you know purposefully misleading people on the art that they're creating. Yeah. My only pushback to that is that is the Nick exact Pizzolatto's same dumb. thing, <laughs> right. That happened with season one and people presented him with all these things in season one. And he was like, Oh no, that's not, no, no, no. It's not what the story's about at all. Turns out wasn't what the story was about at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, you look back and you see, oh, the girl's got the spiral drawing in her pictures. Oh, they've got like a spiral drawing hanging above their bed. And it was literally just like an overzealous set director or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that has me, because my first instinct after the first two episodes was over, I was like, well, go into the subreddit. Yeah. Right. And I immediately start looking through stuff. But then I see that after a day or something or whatever. So I'm like, I have no doubt that like with the first season at episode four or five, I will be right back into checking the subreddit every single day to mm-hmm. see how everything is tying together. But at this point, I am more susceptible to believing the this is not what the story is about talk yeah. from the director than yeah. I was with the first season. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'd probably agree with that. Um, so, first episode, The Great War and Modern Memory. Right. So, they introduced the kind of three timelines. 
1980, 1990, and 2015. Oh, right. Okay. Um, what is your feeling about just the timeline approach? Uh, the timeline approach, I'm sure it will work itself out, but as like an introduction, it was a little overwhelming. I felt like, yeah, it also feels a little, I mean, I did like what they did with the, some of the transitions and stuff. Um, but it also felt a a little arbitrary, but that again could also just be because you don't know really totally what they're doing with it yet yeah no i think anytime true detective starts i think i'm on edge to try and like be aware of every little thing and sometimes being hyper aware of every little thing obscures the basic storytelling right so you're pausing you're like well okay okay so this is 1980 where it's like if you just watch the episode yeah they do a good job of delineating it right and i think that Again, you talk about like the the directing style, but this is another probably great example of why one director is good to have, especially when you're dealing with multiple timelines. Because Jeremy Saulnier, I think, does a really good job of managing how to convey the difference of timeline by focusing on um, whether it's fashion style cars setting how to establish that to also place you in the timeline Mm -hmm. um because sometimes you can't have the character you know uh you you can't have um mahersha ali be the first thing you see in every timeline it's like oh he has he has more hair here Mm -hmm. you know so i think that there is something to be said about the way that he transitions you um, and using different styles, even though I can't tell you all the little tricks that he did. I think that does speak to his ability that it doesn't get confusing at all. Yeah. Um, And so I, I really like it. I, I like the idea that memory, if you, if you can't have like a rust coal character who, you know, you've, you've got just a really strong, character they can build a whole show around Mm. that you have to have an idea and i do like the idea of memory being that that thing that we're exploring Mm -hmm. um i like all the things that are set up i like that his wife was an author i like that there's a book that he's kind of going to be dealing with and whether we start exploring how the book got it wrong or if the memories he's recounting is him just recounting the book and not his true memories, which is something that I kind of think is mm-hmm. happening um, where he is conveying a secondhand knowledge of this stuff that his wife gave um, while completely being unable to convey the reality of the situation uh, in 2015 mm-hmm. and maybe you know exploring how she got it wrong. Which could be interesting. Yeah. Um, did you feel any sort of way about the show? I, maybe you knew this beforehand, but the show like opening up with the same uh, sort of structure that the first season had, where it's like, okay, season one was the hit, 
and season two is a total flop, critically <laughs> at least. So season three, we're going to go back to the one central character who's dark and quiet mm-hmm. and, and brooding, and he's going to be giving a deposition to two <laughs> people. people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be adversarial. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Something that basic never occurred to me other than now in the back of my mind, I think it was oh, oh, really? yeah, this looks familiar. <laughs> That's the first thing I yeah. thought. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, I, I to me, and I think you I think you're this way too. Um if it's good, then I'm not gonna worry about it. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't really worry about as somebody who has not created one iconic thing ever, yeah. Um, if I found out that I could paint squirrels really well, <laughs> I'm just freaking painting squirrels yeah, for the rest exactly. of my life. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna be like, oh, maybe I need to try a um space. Right. I'm just you're just getting variations on that squirrel. Yeah. So, you know, I, I totally get it. Just make it interesting. Make it right. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, just explore different things. Explore memory. Great. Right. I'm with you. So and get Mahershala Ali <laughs> to, to act in it. Mm. Uh, and and I'm on board. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sweating. You know, him repeating himself. Just make it good. Right. Um. So. Season or season episode one uh, includes the finding of the boy, right? That's not episode two. Yeah, that's episode one. That's yeah, game. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, so, well, what do you think of Vietnam? The use of Vietnam, the inclusion of the, you know, vets. Uh, we have Mahershali Hayes. Mm. Um, his partner, who I don't think his partner ever said that he he keeps like deflecting the haze, right? Like in episode two when they're talking to the a Native American guy who collects the trash, and he's a vet. Um, Hayes's mm. partner, Stephen Dorff, is like, oh, my buddy was in Nam. He was a tracker. Yeah, I don't remember. Or was he? Or did he say that he was also a vet? But what what do you think yeah, of? Yeah, I don't remember. What, what what do you think of like? Vietnam and specifically Hayes being a tracker. Do you think that is just kind of like always going to be background, like the cloud yeah, that's over that's just hanging like, this? Or do you think he's going to make like, I guess making it very literal. Do you think we're ever going to get a Vietnam flashback in this, no, in this season? I don't think so. No wartime footage. No. no, I didn't see it as anything more than just sort of like, Uh, just like character building. I didn't really see it. Character shading. Yeah, I didn't see it as anything more than that. Really, mm. it's the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's just how old the character is. I think it. Uh, it it for me <laughs> Hayes and his background. It perfectly shows, th- like what we were talking about with like walking that tightrope. I mean, literally in episode one, we hear his partner say, yeah, give him a knife and drop him behind enemy lines. 
He's coming back with 20 scouts. (laughs) (laughs) It's so absurd. It's so ridiculous. But then you see him like tracking this tire track and you're like, Oh man, yeah, he was a tracker. Right, yeah, it's just a way to explain that more. And or less. yeah, and it, and it works. Yeah, like it's it's patently, you take a step back, and it's ridiculous, but in the moment it works, and I think that is what this show needs to do, and it and it's doing it, uh, and I think again because of of the acting. So <clears throat> again, there are those tropes like when Mahershala Ali finds the boy, I completely bought. How he fought it, f- found him, right? Following the tracks, mm-hmm. like again, ridiculous. Um, but I, I bought it. I was like, oh yeah, he would totally find find this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the way that it was staged and shot, the little dolls, the way that his hands were were resting, uh, you know, when, when he found the boy, it it all like did what it needed to do. It creeped me out. Yeah, exactly. I bought it. Right. Uh, I really enjoyed how it executed what it was trying to do. Right. Um, yeah, it's done well, right? And it's like it, it; those sort of touches make it more interesting than just a, you know, sort of standard disappearance mm-hmm. story. But it's also done in a way... That's like it's it's also not like so heavy handed that it's like CSI, you know, what I mean? where it's like, oh, this boy yeah. disappeared and they find the body. He's like, oh, he's got like a Fortnite logo tattooed on his head. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's like way so stupid. somebody shoved an Xbox controller in his mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's fully in there. Yeah. So that um, that like you said, that makes it really that's what s- sort of draws me in. Do you think that that stuff has any sort of, is it um, tying into the first season at all? That's what Elise said. She was watching. She was like, oh, this is, this is season one. Because there's some similarities. Yeah. She was like, oh, see, I was like, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way that this is tying into season one. Yeah. Absolutely not. So I reject that. But she kept having that feeling all throughout episode one. Right. And kept saying it. Well, and I think there was some of that in season two as well, right? Well, I think there was some part of that mm-hmm. where there was like an idea being floated around early on. That was like, oh, this is going to tie back into season one. Right. But it obviously never it did. Never did. Yeah. So I, I would be shocked if they, if they did. And to me, that would, that would again be an overcorrection. Oh, you guys didn't like season two? Uh, okay, well. Season three, we're going to have one guy, he's going to be interviewed, and we're going to tie into season one. Right. We're going to pretend season two never existed. Like, that would be a way overcorrection. I, I hope they just tell your story, yeah. you know? Um, so, no, I, I, I hope they don't tie it back. I wouldn't mind if it tied into season one in the sense that I believe, I haven't looked into it too much, but I believe isn't the first one based around, like, kind of a real life, like, cult like child pedophilia ring or something Mm -hmm. like that so i wouldn't be surprised if it ties but again in the first season maybe it's just because i haven't seen it in a while but in the first season that is still a a little bit of a stretch yeah like i know there's some mentions of it with the family or whatever but it's never like directly called out right so i wouldn't be surprised if like 
it has that same element mm-hmm. to this season. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so I wanted to talk a, a little bit about um, theories based on the episodes, and then I want to talk about general theories. Okay. I pulled some from Reddit. Yeah. But um, specifically with the episodes, so episode one, one of the big questions is who uh, put that hole in the boy's closet uh-huh. peeking into his sister's room? Um, we find out that the Playboys underneath the kid's bed were put there by the uncle when right. he was there visiting. Um, do you think that hole was the uncle? Yeah. I yeah. think the uncle is just a pervert. Right. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, th- this is not a, a theory, but I wanted to get your, your take, because I always find myself thinking about this. God forbid you find yourself in a situation where police need to be brought in uh, about something concerning your child. Mm-hmm. They want to search your house and they want to ask you questions that involve where you are and family members and all that. Mm-hmm. Do you just shut up and answer the questions and anticipate that they're going to in some way need to suspect you having never met you before? Or do you get obstinate and uh, angry and fight them uh, as they are questioning you and questioning families and establishing you know, your alibi and all that stuff? Uh, I would probably lean towards being angry. Because <laughs> I can see that being very annoying. And I could see it being like... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can s- sympathize with like wanting to be like, none of this bullshit in their room matters we should be out looking for them you know what i mean yeah i would i feel like i would try to have on a leash at least where it's like listen listen if i was brought into a situation and and somebody's like my kid is gone or whatever i mean like i would be like oh where you know, how's your relationship? With oh, them? Well, did you look under her bed? <laughs> <laughs> but I would be like, I don't know this person. Like, yeah. I, I would hope that, yeah, the parent wouldn't, wouldn't be involved. But it's like, I'm not even a cop. And I'd be like, eh, did you have anything to do with it? Like, yeah, that might be in the back of my head. That would need to be eliminated. Yeah, Having but said at the that, same time, yeah, like that. But if the, if the parent is involved, are they going to be like, uh, yeah, it was me, actually. <laughs> Sorry, probably shouldn't have called you here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's I, like to me that reminds me of like like when we go to the restaurants. When we never we go to a restaurant, Julia likes to ask the waitress like, "What what do you like?" Or she'll be like, "Is this good?" Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking that waitress or that waiter, the the whatever they're called now, they are never going oh, to tell go. you no. It's not good. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, they're never going to be like, "Oh yeah, no, it's gross. Don't eat that." They're always going to say it's good. Yeah. So I don't see what the point of asking is. I think it's easy to say server. Server. That's it. I couldn't think of the word. Uh But you know what I mean? So to me, it would be like, what's the point of asking? 
Yeah. Like the, uh, if the person is guilty of kidnap doing, of disappearing their own child, they're not going to be like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. I, I feel like for me, a bigger issue that I would face is like my, my ideas. It's not even have been tainted, but my trust for police officers. Yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say that not too. go very far. It's a, and, it's a very different sort of environment right. that we live in now. I feel like, and I think that I would just be very. I think number one, I'd be like, listen, I will answer your stupid questions to eliminate me, but I do not want to like tomorrow for it to be like, uh, can we look under your bed again? You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. I would be like, no, you cannot. Like, you need to get out there and now do some police work. Yeah. But yeah, part of me, I, I fear like I would just blurt out and be like, have you listened to In the Dark? <laughs> have, you li- have you listened to Serial? Have you listened to any of these podcasts? Like, get out of my house. Like, go free. Like, I, yeah. you know, and I'm going to get out of my house because I might have a better chance of, of figuring this thing out. Uh, depending on who you guys are, right? Maybe you are are the good ones, but you know, I don't want to be on the next podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say too. Like, like, I feel like if a detective like Hayes shows up to my house and like you can tell like this guy's like good at his job, then yeah, I probably. But if he's like some bumbling dummy, then yeah. it would be very frustrating. With, with Rust Cole. Uh, <laughs> exactly passes out on your front on your front doorstep yeah. um okay so yeah i feel like that was the other thing where uh, i in, in a probably situation i feel like yeah if it was if it was haze i think I'd, I'd be like okay let's let's do this because he also i like like he makes a point to be like sending all the officers are out before he goes and talks to the parents so you know like everybody's out there doing something it's not like you know, the officers are sitting on their uh, cars mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I always think about that. Like, how, how obstinate would I be? Yeah, I thought about that, too. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel more afraid that I'd be, it would be more like a gone girl situation where you, you get, you know, caught smiling at a wrong time right. or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like smirking or right. whatever. Uh, so do you think the uh, mother or father are involved in any way? Um, so that is one thing where I'm going to go say no. Uh, one of my sole reasons would be I was trying to think of like a good example of this. The problem with them being involved at this time there's no way parents could act that way without being actors and be that good and that convincing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there are shots when the father isn't, does not know that he's being watched like at the funeral mm-hmm. at, at the wake and he's in misery. And it's like, okay, this guy's just a mechanic. Right. You know what I mean, like, there's no way he's like, listen, I got, I got to go method on this. Right. Uh, I'm not going to let this slip. I'm playing uh-huh. this part. And you know what I mean? Like if he turns out like, yeah, I killed him and I'd do it again. And I'd eat and I ate him. Yeah. Uh, then, then you'd be like, well, then how did you act so good? You know, yeah. when they were missing. So no, there's, there, there's no way or else. Um, they way overacted there. They, yeah. they, they acted too well for their parts and they needed to, to signal a little more 
that they're just normal people. Yeah. She has a drinking problem and she was drunk and there's no way that she's pulling off a convincing I'm upset that they're gone and drunk and he is just a lowly mechanic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, type of guy. And especially like going to work. Like, you know, when he goes yeah, to work and then gets run off. I mean, like that was a Daniel Day-Lewis-esque performance there and he needs to become an actor. So. Mm-hmm. So no, they acted their way out of suspicion. Okay, even the uh, even the mother. Again, she was drunk and convincing. I mean, at most, she she is aware of something that happened, right. but I, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I could see the mother being involved, just because she's out. When it happens, right? Like how judgmental. Well, th- this how is that's judgmental. this is this is that's playing into my point. She's out when it happens. Also, what was one of the biggest criticisms of Nick Pizzolatto? Doesn't know how to write women. He's mis- he's a misogynist. Misogynist. And so, there's basically one female character. <laughs> no, there's two. Who's the second Hayes's one? He's his wife. Oh yeah. Okay. Huh. Ama? Amelia. Amelia. But she's not in it. I guess she's in it as much as the. Listen, I will put Amelia as a suspect over the mother. No way. Yep. No way. Yep. Uh, so there's that. But I will say this again. If again, if I'm again going back to season one, the guy that's like responsible for it in season one doesn't even show up until like the fifth or sixth or seventh episode or something. So. I would not be surprised if no one we have seen so far has anything to do with it. <coughs> but I also would not be surprised if the wife isn't, if the mother is involved. So the boys in the uh, buggy, innocent. Yeah. Uh, the Native American uh, guy yeah. who collects trash. I think I think he's innocent. Uh, the boys. Uh, did you get a West Memphis Three vibe out of the boys, especially when they? Uh, kind of call out his shirt for being satanic. Uh, Black Sabbath. I guess I did not like with that fine of a point on it, but that was the other thing that he Pizzolatto answered in the um AMA. Yeah, in the interview. Uh, yeah, the interview about the unreliable narrator. He was mm-hmm. like, "I was not at all thinking about the West Memphis Three. <laughs> has nothing to do with them. <laughs> so I need to read this interview. I just wanted to be like, <laughs> those are the two things that I, that were on the red. I want him to be like, listen, I wrote this whole thing in a blackout. I don't, I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. Right. It could also, but again, it could also be one of those things where it's like, Oh no, look, you literally plagiarized this word for word from this book. And he's like, right. Oh, I'm not, never heard nope. of it. <laughs> yeah. West Mem- Memphis. Right. I don't even know where Memphis is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Next episode three, they start being referred to as the West of Memphis three. Right. Right. <laughs> oh man. What, what state are they in? I don't know. Oh, I was Louisiana. I'm going to try and make a uh, geograph. Oh, they're in Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're back in season one territory. Mm-hmm. See? Oh, okay. What, what do you think of the creepy dolls? That's what I'm saying, because they're very reminiscent of what was in season one. 
Are you and somebody points out that it's the thing is holding a yellow flower, um, like the yellow king, mm, right? Yeah. Um. When was I just watched season one? I need to know the timeline. Yeah, because we got 1980-1990. Seems like there might be some overlap. Anyway, I don't think that that's it. Um, what do you think about the uh, son? Hayes, Hayes' son. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Seems a little angry at Hayes, right? Yeah. Is that the feeling you get? Right. And do you think that's just because of his declining health, or are we going to? Are, are we thinking that he did something to fracture his family? Like, is yeah. did, did the daughter just leave because she can't be there anymore, or because the the mother's illness? We we don't know how his wife died. Right. But. Uh, my initial thought was, oh, like illness, she couldn't be there for it. She left, you know, to go do her own thing. Well, or because he, you, he seems like a good guy, though, right? Like, yeah, he, he seems like he a good guy. He definitely doesn't seem like a deadbeat like Russ Cole was. Right, but it makes me think, again, like unreliable narrator, you know? Yeah, maybe, I guess. Maybe he's not so good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I could also very much see it as a dementia thing right and just mm. sort of a frustration from you just get tired from right you know i could i could definitely see that go to bed okay go to bed um, i thought that was ace farting yes yeah, so did i <laughs> um okay let me um so I wanted to grab my grab my phone, talk about some uh, sure. talk about some theories. Um, okay. Are we still recording? Yeah, but it's all right. I can. Um, I I just want to shout out. I think everybody that stood out for stood out to them, but when um, they're interviewing uh, the Native American guy and they ask him about like, "Do you like kids?" He's like, "Yes." How am I supposed to answer that? Right. Yeah, that was a great line, but but again, that was like the only like funny line of the two episodes, right? Right. So I'm a little worried that it. Not worried, but it was definitely like just was a very down, very down two episodes. Where it's like this is very heavy. There's not a lot of levity here, right? And by the end of it, I was like, I, I, you know, really liked the first two episodes, but you know, you, I definitely feel like you're missing at least maybe a. You can punch up Woody Harrelson, the worst character, a little bit, maybe. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I I like their dynamic though. I, I like it. It's not bad, yeah, but man, yeah. the whole thing is just so because even uh Hayes is like it's very grim. Not, not even grim. He's just is very serious. Um so I wanted to ease us into theories, you know. Okay. Uh soften the blow. So I saw this one um, on the subreddit, 
And this uh, comes from Dr. Jape. Okay. If I know how to read Reddit right, which I, I don't. You mean so. is J-A-P-E? Mm-hmm. So J-P? Dr. J-A-P-E. I've seen people who call themselves J-P spell it J-A-P-E. I've never seen that. <laughs> That's like the bagel bagel thing again. I'm telling you, I've seen it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they, they posted that there's no moon on 11-7-1980. Okay. Um, and they pull up a chart from God knows where. Right. Uh, that shows, sure enough, uh, there was no or barely visible moon. Right. In the show, Hayes makes a big point to mention the moon. Right. In his memories. It was a full moon. Including, it's also the day that uh, Steve McQueen died. which right. Which I thought was a, another funny touch. Mm-hmm. Um, is this sign of an unreliable narrator, or is this a perfect example of watchers going way too right. deep yeah. and overshooting everything, and Nick Pizzolatto is like, I never even thought to look at if a moon was visible right. that night. Like, layoff. so did you see the thread about um, does it say on that chart what day that was? What day of the week? Um, oh, you're trying to cross reference it with the uh, see if they got the day right. Well, no, I'm asking you if it says on that chart you're looking at, if it tells you what day of the week yeah, it is. Yeah, Friday. Friday. So the disappearance happened on Friday. According to the show, the disappearance happened on a Friday. Well, see, and uh, the next day they're interviewing kids at school about it. So oh. all these kids are going to school on Saturday, apparently. <laughs> I think that's the level of... <laughs> I think that's the level that we're getting. I think it has absolutely nothing to do with the show. <laughs> and I do not imagine Nick Pizzolatto going back on a calendar and figuring out what the moon phase was. <laughs> that we didn't talk about Halloween, right? The David Gordon Green. No. Danny McBride Halloween. Mm-mm. Did it get bad reviews? That film is terrible. Oh, you watched I it? I hated that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I hated in it is it obviously happens on Halloween. And everybody has things to do that Halloween. Parents are going out for long parties. There are house parties everywhere. Mm-hmm. People are out super late. And different characters along throughout the movie keep saying, like, it's a school night. And I'm like, <laughs> it's not an effing school night. Right. You didn't even give a date. Make this a Friday. Yeah. Just simply make it a Friday. Because if you didn't make it a Friday, then the only thing I'm thinking is Halloween this year was on a school night. Right. And everything was dead by eight o'clock. <laughs> and I understand that this is a horror movie. It's Halloween. I understand all that. But I can't. I, it's, it's a small and And the film is bad enough that you focus on crap like that. Mm-hmm. We're like, this doesn't make sense. The whole setup doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why should I care about the kills? Why should I care about being scared? 
Uh, it's just ridiculous. But that that stood out to me. And on True Detective, the same thing. Yeah. I was like, I hope, I pray to God that this is a Friday. Right. Because <laughs> these kids are like, we're going to the park wherever. He's like, be home by dark. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's working on his car until like, it's pitch black out. Yeah. Which in the winter, it gets dark a little early. I'll give him that. But I was also like, there's no way on a school night that you're like, oh, it's nine. Yeah. How'd that sneak up on me? Yeah. It's like, you know, I have a kid. Every minute is about getting those kids in bed yeah. as quickly as possible for the next day. Right. And not being like, whatever. And and then, yeah, the next day he's interviewing kids at school, like mm. you say. Why, why not just make it a, you know, it's a Friday. Yeah. In films and movies, if someone goes missing, just make it a Friday. You, you give yourself so much more leeway to do whatever you want with, with that. Yeah. Uh, with the timing of everything. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But you're absolutely right. Um, well, there goes that. Right. And again, I think even without that, I think everything that we've established that we agree upon about Nick Pizzolatto automatically <laughs> rejects that yes. assumption. That's hilarious. Okay, well, uh, moving on. This is, so I want to swing uh, the, to, to extremes on the theories mm-hmm. and then settle somewhere in the, in the middle. This is my dumb theory watch. Okay. And I want to come up with one every episode. This is my favorite. I saw the title and I bookmarked it. I saved it. (laughs) I was so excited. This is it. (coughs) The title of this from the Bergerons. Mm, Like Tom Bergeron? I'm guessing. I hope so. And it seems like something that he would come up with. (laughs) The title is Theory. Nobody did it. There was no kidnapping or murder. The two children were running away from home. Their household was toxic. We even see the boy's scout handbook in his room. Again, mm. another classic overreading of, <laughs> you know, yeah. a book. Uh, probably looking up how to survive on their own. The boy crashes his bike, hits his head, and dies. Freak accident. And then, like, what, levitates his way into a cave? The girl. Oh, okay. Either by herself or with help. More on that later. I love that. Oh, they t- wow. Yes, this I person is really, this is not a joke. They've got it <laughs> so clear in their head, which is wow, what I wee. love. Yeah. Uh, calling your shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, lays her brother to rest. Mm. Praying. Mm-hmm. Keeps on running. This is why she's still alive. The town assumes there's a kidnapper child killer on the loose based on the information the police release. A crazy person sends the note to the family. Okay. Right. Just Just like a fame chaser or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. The town becomes hysterical and a mad search for answers. They think it's a horrific crime. The help they receive. Amelia. As their teacher knew of their abusive and toxic home environment, she aided in them running away. She may have even helped hide the boy's body. Which, the girl, they don't have cell phones. 
So how did the girl let the let the lady let Amelia know? Uh, hey, he just crashed and cracked his head, and we need to put him in a cave. She writes the book to cover for the girl who's got away, and also to cover her own tracks and aiding with it. The case haunts Hayes for his entire life. He obsesses on solving what, in reality, is an unsolvable case. There is no case. The season will be a commentary on the mass hysteria a community goes through and a mad search for answers. We may even see mob mentality take vigilante justice on the trash man. We've mm. already seen that they've tried, that they're trying to overturn a conviction. Perhaps the community needed a villain so bad that threw an innocent person in prison for it. In the end, it was a freak accident that took on a life of its own. The Bergerons. You know what? I like it. <laughs> they came around at the end to convince I like you. it. And, and the only reason I like it is there's two, there's two reasons. I like it, first of all, because season two exists. So I could so see. So it's as dumb so, as that. Exactly. <laughs> I also like it because this theory, this is my prediction. This theory is going to turn out to be right. And at the end of the season, this, the Bergerons guy is going <laughs> to turn out to be like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm uh, Nick Pitzalov's buddy or whatever. <laughs> and I ran the script. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because there has been a handful, maybe not a handful, like one or two <clears throat> totally random trades in the NBA over the past couple seasons. Oh, I like this conspiracy some, theory. That somebody on Reddit will call like a month beforehand, and then the trade happens, and then someone's like, hey, so-and-so called this, right? And that person will be in the thread, and then, and then people are, like, going through their history, and they're like, oh, man, look, he's making all these different, like, personnel calls that are weirdly accurate. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm friends with this big agent in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so I could totally see that being just some guy who somehow has the script or something. Right. Is using a random Reddit account to. What, what I love is it's so, like, constructed based on its own internal logic. Yeah. Um, that they've built and they've explained everything. Again, not everything. They've explained the things that they wanted to highlight um, to prove their point. Right. Um, and I, I like that. I like that it wasn't just half-assed. No, exactly. Uh, yes. It was actually thought out. It was actually thought right. out. Whether written, you're willing so. to make those leaps of faith or not, yeah. he actually or they actually think through it. Now, the most common theory, and I kind of hinted at this before that I've seen, is that Amelia did it. No, there's no in way. in order to have something to write about she committed this crime and then wrote this book that is dumber to me than than the nobody did it theory i have to say i agree with you i think that that is dumb um that is like that is like that is the csi level plot line right yeah, so again, that's where I've adapted it. And my theory on this is we are going to find out that her book has supplanted the real memories in his mind. And that is what he is relaying to us, mm -hmm. what she wrote. And he's trusting her because he already in the um, 
in the modern day interview that he's giving, he's already praised her for her uh, reporting, her doggedness, you know, her detail. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's like taking that as his gospel. Yeah. I mean, I could (sighs) see that the problem I have with it is what was the theme of season one? What was the theme of season one? Yeah. What's the overarching theme of like, what is he trying to say with season one about anything? Or is it just a good detective story that Uh, has no real subtext? Well, again, I think season one to me turned into a kind of like, I I don't want to use the word like redemption, Mm -hmm. but you do see in Cole, somebody who is has been exposed like and again i I forgot about certain things like when he shows woody harrelson the the tape and Mm -hmm. he's in the garage and rust is just in that moment so like he's he can't take any more of this Mm -hmm. he's totally been exposed to just the darkness of humanity and man and in the end, you have this ability for him to look up and see light, see some glimmers of hope in this dark world, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that it has to do with that. It has to do with, you know, again, something like redemption, breaking through all that evil, all that sickness and still being able to penetrate. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I would argue that that is not an idea that gets planted in the first episode of the first season. And rather, it's something that sort of shows up in the last 10 minutes of the entire season. So I I like the idea. I think that's interesting. And I could see it going down that path. I just don't... I don't know. I, I, I'm as much there with that as I am with any sort of larger idea tying the whole season together, other than it's just as a good kind of detective story. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that Pizzolatto's ego could let it just be that, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like, for him, he would be the type of guy that, and you'd be like, so what are you writing? And he'd be like, oh, that is just about man's search for God mm-hmm. and meaning in a meaningless universe. And it's like, oh, Rust Cole? His name is? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. His name is Rust Cole. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I, that, that's the kind of guy that he strikes me as. Yeah. But I feel like, again, I don't know. I I would love to know how much David Milch had to do with shaping these. Yeah. If he helped to shape the direction of the story or just punch down. I, I see him probably needing to punch down some of the writing more than mm-hmm. like punch it up. Right. And just kind of like level it out a bit. Yeah. Because that's that's the feeling that I, that I get. In these first two episodes, this is like a 
a pitched down pizzolato. Right. And there's enough going on there where I was like, oh, there's he's 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 on something here. Yeah. You know? So I am interested to see where he goes. I hope in the first season I kind of uh I planted my flag in hoping that it would be like Cthulhu. I was like, Yeah. Go for it, man. I would love for season one to end in just like Cthulhu monster revealed uh-huh. to Rust Cole and he dies, you know, uh-huh. with that as his last vision or whatever. Right. You know? yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. But when I saw I wasn't going to do that, I was like, oh, OK, well, you know, I'll take this. I'll take this kind of like redemption arc bailout. Yeah. On this one, I'm not necessarily hoping for a Cthulhu monster, but I am hoping that he goes after an interesting thematic idea and and really does something with it you know mm. again whether it's memory and narration and you know kind of the mythology that we build around ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves to make things okay um you know or to understand things mm. uh, I, i'd be all for that i hope that this doesn't just turn into a uh, a pulpy, ridiculous story where you're looking at the Bergerons and you're like, oh, he wasn't right, but he was on the right track. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, has there been any word on who's directing the rest of the episodes? Uh, I have not. I imagine it's just, it's just like it. a grab bag like they do with... So my number one hope is that this season is good. My number two hope is that Nick Pizzolatto directs the the rest of the episodes. And episode three is just the worst piece of crap <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it just turns into a complete vanity project. Yeah. And it's it's unwatchable. Right. Uh, I, w- I would also like for that to happen. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure they, you know, HBO probably was like, yeah, these uh, Game of Thrones people, yeah. they're right. sitting around. Yeah. Uh, so get them in there. All right. Yeah, well, I liked it a lot. Me too. So I'm really excited for the next episode. Yep, I'm, uh, I'm excited too. Uh, so we're back. Back on our TV. Now.